Hello and welcome to the Y Football Podcast for another instalment of The Chat with me, Michael Dryden and Eches Adokru. Today we're discussing COVID-19, its impact on football and whether ethically football should continue. Before we start, very quickly, please follow us on Twitter at YFootball underscore and subscribe with us on all our platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast and YouTube. Eches, uh, firstly, how are you? And secondly, we've seen a, a big spike in numbers since Christmas. What was your initial take on COVID and football? Um, yeah, well, in general, I'm pretty good. Uh, Arsenal dispatched Newcastle. We sent them mm. back in, back, packing up back to the north yesterday. Uh, Emma Smith-Rowe, Kaiosaka, the greatest players in the league. So uh, that was really, really good. In terms of um, the recent spike in COVID numbers, hence why we did this episode, you know, I think it's not good. We had the Villa team that went out against Liverpool the other day where they fielded a bunch of under-23s and they were rumoured yep, that yep. it wasn't actually their best under-23s team because some of them were on loan. Then we've had the rescheduling in the league where Fulham had to play Tottenham due to really short notice because yep. of other games being cancelled. We had Leeds and Southampton, I think, was also cancelled, although I think that might be linked to the FA Cup uh, replay. But, you know, that is concerning. You know, Fulham and Villa have been hit quite hard in recent weeks. Um, and the, the rise in, I think, in the first lockdown, we saw football seem to be a little bit in, immune from COVID where, you know, these guys, <laughs> are getting, these guys are getting tested all the time. And, you know, there weren't many positive cases, but now we're seeing whole clubs having to close. There's been huge outbreaks and, you know, lots in question as to whether football is actually safe or not. So I kind of wanted to talk to you about what protocols are actually in place. Yeah, absolutely. So just to kick this off with some yes, yeah, background information before we go into discussion. Um, so the protocols currently in football, testing the Premier League um, since December uh, 28th has been on a, a twice weekly basis for all players and club staff. In the EFL, it's come a little bit later. So we have twice weekly testing for all 72 clubs um, from the 11th of this month, January. Um, this has come with, <laughs> like a lot of things in COVID, hasn't come without its controversy. Um, there was initial calls for uh, the Premier League to fund the £5 million required uh, to fund the weekly uh, or twice weekly testing in the EFL until the end of the season. This has now been fully funded by the uh, PFA, the Professional Football Footballers Association. Uh, there has been talk of a circuit breaker at times in the EFL because especially prior to this weekly testing, there's an idea that COVID could ravage through the league. Uh, they haven't got the funds in place to perhaps protect, you know, clubs haven't got the funds in place uh, like the Premier League to perhaps protect themselves to the same extent. Um, and as of today, uh, positive cases have dropped to 32, down from 123 uh, in the EFL um, with just over 4,500 uh players and staff tested. So it looks as if on the EFL front and with the Premier League that we're going uh, coming out of a stage where over Christmas we've had that spike in terms of numbers, which we've seen in, in society generally, which is still very high. Um, but we don't seem to have had the same uh, in football following that spike. Uh, in the Premier League, we've had 16 positive tests in the latest round of testing and it has been as high as 36. And it's we'll come on to touch about the ethics of this, but testing in non-league has been non-existent. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot for me to cover, Echez, bring you back in. But 
yeah, it's 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 crazy with the non-league element. Yeah, I think COVID in football is one of those interesting ones as well because players get tested positive or negative. We've also gone through the international football, which happened before where we were opting to send players around the world when cases were rising in particular here yeah, yeah. to then come back. And then because you're mixing countries, they have different protocols and, and that, that's been quite problematic. I think one of the most... Th- things which hasn't really spoken about football with, with the COVID itself is the recovery. So, you know, we mentioned Premier League in particular, we're honing in on them. We had 16 positive tests in the latest round of testing a few days ago. It's been highest 36 before. And, you know, the Premier League are now saying, oh, these strict new rules to stop close quarter celebrations, which just yeah. doesn't really work. It doesn't make any sense um, because players aren't going to do that. And also, what about corners? You know, there's a picture yeah, yesterday yeah. where Arsenal flooded the box for a corner kick. <laughs> and like, you know, they're not socially distanced. It's just silly to try and implement in the game. And I think one of the biggest topic points from COVID in football isn't really about the recovery or the testing. It's actually those who get it and how they're affected. So we've spoken about uh, previously, actually, Timo Werner, uh, Kai Havertz as well, and Huang Hee Chan, who isn't in the Premier League, but have all suffered from long COVID, yeah. where we've read online and people that have unfortunately gone through it struggle with this illness for much longer than the so-called eight to 10 days it takes a normal person. And, you know, there's ethics around that in terms of how can you provide players with the best support when you don't even know, like, how to fix them, which is what Lampard said. Lampard came out and said, how how do we help Havertz? You know, we don't know what COVID properly is. We don't know how to cure yeah, it. Yeah. So now that he has long COVID and he's not feeling great, what do we do to make him feel better? And, and that's been a big, big challenge for clubs as well. Yeah, I think we've almost came full circle from at the very start of coronavirus and this massive, massive campaign or almost national priority to get football back on our screens and through Project Restart. We then almost came full circle now to, obviously, we've had the big spikes in society and now people are starting to question whether or not football should actually continue during this period uh, from people within the game who are just looking to protect their, their players and their staff. Um, then even, even people in wider society, we saw the SNP talk about our condemned Celtic uh, in, in the last week due to their exploits and going to Dubai and the messaging that sends out to the rest of the, the Scottish public. And then, But then now we're talking about, and what's been to the fore has been, how should players react on the pitch to this? How should they behave um, in terms of things like spitting, in terms of socially distancing? I'm of the view that if they're allowed to go forward, I don't think it's fair to then try to enforce stringent rules on how they behave on the pitch because you can you can prevent... I get the whole thing around, you know, a lot of players in the Premier League coming together or within one team to celebrate a goal, for example, sends the wrong message and that's the main point. But, you know, it is obviously a fact that they're all tested prior to the game. They've all got negative testing. Of course, somehow COVID could get find its way in, but... These players, in theory, are in a safe environment. And I do think it's been blown out of proportion a little bit, this idea that we should condemn these players for, you know, relieving spit or for celebrating with one another. And the former point as well, I mean, these, these are actually these elite players playing elite football. They need to clear their throats. They need to they need to be able to breathe heavily because they're, they're covering large, large think, distances on the pitch. I think the problem is that ultimately the way it is in this country is sports have been blamed for quite a lot during COVID. Uh, we had the issues before where uh, 
Matt Hancock was calling for the Premier League to do more during yeah. COVID. Uh, we've had the situation now where government or papers or media uh focusing their attention towards football again. It's not really up to football to do anything, to be honest, because the problem is that generally, aside from the game itself, the cases are spiraling out of control away from the game. So, you know, it, in an actual, under a microscope, football itself doesn't actually have that many cases compared to the general public. The issue yeah. is more around why are we focusing our attention on Premier League footballers when there are bigger questions to answer in society. And I think, yeah, okay, if we go and say stop spitting to spread COVID, how many players, what was the analysis of players actually spreading COVID to one another? As far as I'm aware, yeah. it's players are getting COVID either from contacts from people outside, as in maybe family members, or there is outbreaks at clubs, but we don't actually know where it's originating from. I doubt it's originating because David Louise has hugged Bemiang at a corner. Then they both got COVID. Right? So <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. I think I think the focus in itself is wrong. Yeah, and there's, there's a clear demand to have the football on our screens, and I think with that demand, we have to have some kind of uh, recognition that there's going to be almost floating the rules. And you're right in saying that footballers are privileged in society generally and in this period but again that demand is so high to have them on our screens have the clubs back on the screens there's a lot of talk about how football has been positive for people to have their some sense of normality um comes back to this almost like routine idea that it, it allows people to feel like we're actually more in a normal state than we are because we're not in a normal state at all um but it's, it's a really interesting debate and the celtic the celtic um fiasco of late really kind of builds on this idea that we're going to touch on more of the ethics around um, whether football should continue or how they should behave. Because in that instance, Celtic had a planned uh, summer training camp in Dubai that they then went on. There was a positive test. It forced the squad to be delayed coming back in terms of isolating. The Celtic then had to play a, a, a game in the SPL where they had no first-team players, much like Villa had to do in the Cup against Liverpool. There's calls from the SNP and people in the press to say, well, Celtic should not have done that because it sends out the wrong message. Like They, are f- not j- they aren't flaunting the rules, but yeah, they're but flaunting they're... opinion to an extent. Yeah, they are. I think it's ethics, isn't it? I mean, footballers, you know, I would need to speak to people like Celtic to understand why they needed to go on the trip for whatever reason. But in the current climate, it wasn't the best move. I think another interesting point as well is the weakened teams issue that we've had in specifically with Villa versus Liverpool, and obviously Celtic versus Sabernian. I think the SPL is a bit different because uh, that is a one instance. But I think the Premier League is yeah. very interesting how the FA Cup have said or the, the sponsors there, they can't reschedule games, hence why Villa had to play a week inside. But I just think integrity needs to come into the competition, actually, because Premier League games, again, was playing left, right and centre. And I'm unsure, I know that COVID have this big thing, sorry, not COVID, football, FIFA, UEFA <laughs> have, this yeah. big, have this big thing where they want um, all football to end by the, I think it's the 31st of May, because they're very keen to get the Euros going. So I'm, I'm confused as to why the increase in Premier League games is fine to adjust, but FA, FA Cup games don't have the same uh, type of ruling. I, I just don't get it. Villa can play an FA Cup with a, you know, an academy team. Premier League game gets postponed. To me, it doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't make much sense at all. And we encountered those those questions with domestic competitions. People were saying that domestic cups, are they necessary this year? And then it brings out, it always like kind of unearths these wider footballing questions that have came out in terms of, well, 
yeah, no, the League Cup and the FA Cup. I mean, is football a priority anyway? <laughs> we should bring that up. But the FA Cup and the League Cup, are they a priority? Can we just curtail them for this season until we get society back to normal? But then obviously you have then the EFL clubs then say, well, you know, we've already lost a significant revenue stream in terms of fans performing. And they do have things like the iFollow streams where they generate some revenue. But, you know, the FA Cup is a big uh, revenue factor for you know, teams in the EFL and even those teams in non-league. We saw Marine get all the way to the, the third round of the FA Cup and had a brilliant game against Spurs that we all enjoyed. I find it incredible that we've got non-league footballers who are part-time largely, especially in the Van Rama North, Van Rama South, many of which work in schools, might work at wherever, and they are performing <laughs> tight schedules, these are big leagues, and then going to work and there's no testing. Yeah, I think that's, it's a trickle down thing, isn't it? Where you know the the objectives of all the clubs is to be as successful as possible. I think the problem that Premier League clubs are having, judging by the summer we just had, is they want to remain as competitive as possible, and therefore there's so much uncertainty. I can see, you know, it's like Arsenal; they sacked the Gunasaurus Rex. Tottenham applied yeah. for a grant, then had to return it initially because there was uproar. There's been issues with other clubs as well because, you know, pay cuts, et cetera. And people are saying, oh, how can you have so much money, but you're implementing all of these cuts? It's because there's so yeah. much uncertainty. These clubs are all ambitious, especially, you know, some of the top, top prem sides that want to do really, really well. So they've ring fenced loads of cash to potentially buy transfers. I mean, we're talking in a COVID year where Arsenal pick up the most revenue from stadium attendances, yet can buy Thomas Party in one go. We're seeing Timo Werner, Chelsea went and spent 200 plus million pounds, still knowing that, you know, they wouldn't have fans until at least October. Yeah. And it's gone way past that now. And then today I'm reading that they're linked with Erling Haaland. And I think the problem that the smaller clubs have further down the scale is the Premier League has always been seen as greedy. And now they're going to get even greedier and tighter and stricter and more stringent because that they, they don't they don't know they don't know when fancy back on when their revenue streams will return and I think the the problem with that is a lot of these smaller clubs even league clubs further down will then really really struggle and you're mentioning forget about the clubs in terms of player welfare down in the Vanarama where as you said a lot of their part-time jobs away from football may have dried up because of COVID and then the other side of it they're not getting at all because of COVID yeah. which is uh, really really tricky No you're bang on and on the Chelsea point Premier League clubs operate within a very competitive environment as to the players and so Chelsea might argue well, well if I don't spend this money and we lose our competitiveness within the Premier League, then it's just going to end up with Chelsea suffering. We're going to fall out, say, of the Champions League or whatever, and then that's going to affect them. It's such a competitive Premier League that it doesn't surprise me that teams like Chelsea want to spend that money. You know, I think you're you're, you're bang on. It doesn't really matter whether it's a COVID year or not. These teams are so hungry for success, so hungry to achieve, and so hungry to get to certain league positions just to keep afloat. You know, um, Derby as well have suffered recently in terms of not being able to pay their wages in December, which shows yeah. you how grave it is. And I think we've discussed on other pods where I think the future will see more and more clubs suffer. But that doesn't mean that the bigger clubs become more generous. They'll become even more stringent because they're thinking for themselves, OK, what do we need to stay afloat? And more importantly, what do we need in order to grow? Because this won't be a season where clubs think, oh, you know, we'll take a rest and decide to keep what we have. Every team is pushing on and on because the other 19 teams or the league below and the league below that are trying to push to do the same. I think 
the lower league sides is more about keeping afloat and trying to survive, which is which is sad for English football because yeah. that's not what you want to see. I kind of wanted to ask the question, which is, should football still be played ethically? Because I think the really quick answer is yes, because virtually every other sport in the world is being played now. And, you know, when it was taken away from us for three months, it was it was it wasn't really fun. But it's also clear that cases are rising in particular here. We're having issues in terms of players now catching it as well. And the rescheduling process with the potential Euros coming up in the summer and an, yeah, Olympic, yeah. and, a, and an Olympic Games as well, which will have football. It kind of seems as if something has to give. That's a that's a major point that we haven't really expanded on. We've just mentioned there in terms of the Euros. Uh, there was talk of, well, there was discussion points around the international fixtures with England playing friendlies, for example, and then teams coming over into into London to play at Wembley. But in terms of the Euros, it'd be interesting to see if that if that goes ahead. And the same with the Tokyo Olympics, because obviously cross border channel uh, transport is how this virus has spread across the world and how it continues to spread, um, and the different strains continue to spread. And it'd be really fascinating, I think, to see if that goes ahead. And a lot of the money that's involved with the Euros, different to the, the international friendlies, different to the Nations League, arguably. The money that's involved in the Euros is still significant, not on World Cup levels. So it'd be interesting to see what UEFA and FIFA's stance, or particularly UEFA, their stances on that competition with you know sponsorships tied up, you know deals that have been put together. You know these these host nations were meant to host this; they would expect certain revenues. I think it's such a fascinating argument. They've done loads of stuff of that, though. They've basically um, they've put their contingency plans in place, which basically means that you know they can change it they might change to one city now you know it's meant to be the multi-city tournament there's also been uproar with ticketing because there's some sort of clause put in now where if the game is moved to this type of game i think if it's moved to like an emergency type of game it means that you can't be refunded if it moves to another country so fans are now getting cheated out of money well well it's 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 it works in terms of ethically for people to, you know, livelihood, but not if you have a ticket to watch England versus, I don't know, Croatia in Wembley, and then suddenly 24 hours before they tell you it's in Croatia and you can't be refunded. Yeah. So yeah. that's basically what they're saying, um, because obviously these sponsorships don't want to lose money that they've already lost. So it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. I think in terms of whether it should be kept, you know, people always argue it keeps morale high, we're in winter now as opposed to summer and again football is an escape for a lot of people whether it's reporters people just watching it uh, and, and just general fans of the game and there are many people around the world that idolize these players that are playing and it also allows players to do what they enjoy I guess to a degree in terms of TV money which doesn't actually trickle all the way down but to a, to a small degree it does it helps keep clubs afloat with some form of revenue which is which is positive but then yeah you know, we see the constant rescheduling of games, strains on footballers' personal lives, you know, and we've seen rumours and we've seen evidence of both lockdowns uh, where players have left their bubbles or areas to do things they shouldn't have been doing. Jack Grealish is an example. Carl Walker is another example. <laughs> yeah. LM Hudson-Odoi is another example. Yeah. Uh, there's probably loads I've forgotten about. Um, and, and, and that's something which you then think, you know, it's it's taking a toll on the players as well. A lot of these players have high-risk parents. So, you know, an outbreak, Anna Troy Dini was vocal about it, but an outbreak at Villa. Yeah, yeah. If there's an outbreak at Villa and you're Troy Dini and you happen to be at Villa Football Club, that's detrimental to you because, you know, you could have, I think his son was high-risk, which, you know, 
brings the issue back home and it's trying yeah. to ensure the safety of these players as well, just as much as the entertainment. Yeah, we shouldn't we shouldn't forget that these players are human beings and we've touched on that many podcast episodes before, how these players are almost not seen as human beings, they're seen as commodities. Um, they're on our screens, they almost not seem like real people. Um, I think in terms of the Premier League, I think we can continue as long as that the Premier League can continue in isolation with the rest of the leagues, which was an issue at the start. Then I think we can continue. I think Project Restart, on the whole, if you look at it, if you take away the people that have violated, as you said, like Callum Hudson and Doy, on the whole, the restart has been a success. I mean, the number of positive tests across the board. I mean, we're going on nearly a year now. I don't know the stat for the yearly, the yearly testing figures, but it has been it has been around resounding success in the EFL. Seemingly, we've had a number of players tested in the last week. We have thirty-two out of four thousand five hundred. Um, obviously, again, the level of safety there and PPE and all that sort of stuff, procedure is going to be lesser at clubs that can't afford to perhaps, you know, <laughs> to heighten that. So perhaps the EFL, if it could be funded, can continue. But the Premier League can afford it. It has been safe. I don't see any reason why it can't go ahead. The EFL is more of a funding thing in terms of can they get that weekly testing funding. If they can't, I'd question again whether it should go ahead because I think pre... I'm pretty sure anyway, prior to the twice weekly testing being brought in uh, this month, uh, mandatory testing for EFL players was not a thing. So we had football coming back and like it has in the non-league where there's no mandatory testing. So obviously if someone gets symptoms or if there's an outbreak, you know, Sunderland had an outbreak uh, and we were forced to play a fixture at home to Wimbledon uh, on short notice with about 11 or 12 players that were depleted from that squad. It's an interesting one. At non-league level, I just don't, I don't see the viability of it currently. I'm no. just, I'm shocked that it's actually still going ahead because for the, the reasons I stated before, I just don't think without testing in place, you can safely organise a competition where you've got that many players in such a small space colliding with each other, coming into contact with each other, where you can't practice social distancing. I just think it's 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 crazy. I think it's just a case of it's the mix between the ethics and the financial side where, you know, a lot of these clubs now um, I think will be really struggling. I think it will be the after effects. It may not happen a year after COVID or two or three years. We'll really see clubs that have really struggled uh, during during this time. Uh, I've read reports that transfers now have all these weird clauses put in place to ensure that players if there's like cancelled matches your loan can be cancelled or you can have a pay cut etc because clubs are now really really worried about trying to recoup their money i think you are right it should you know to answer the question project restart has been a success and the rescheduling highlights flaws in our society more than anything else because it's not really up to the Premier League it's a case of cases have been spiralling from the national lockdowns that we've had from government but then obviously that trickles down into football because it's not immune to what's going on around it and that's obviously put some issues out there I I do worry with this hard stop on the 31st of May I think that's kind of what this rescheduling worries me about because we're already four week games behind we've had some postponements and I think the postponements could increase and it's what do you do about that can we keep players on board we're in a national lockdown now there are a lot of people whether they like to admit it or not who break lockdown rules but there are hundreds and thousands that don't now if the players again get caught breaking rules they shouldn't do it's just a slap in the face to the public who have had to sacrifice so much more to, you know, not be able to see loved ones. And I don't know how 
the Premier League or how players already respond to following such strict rules again. But then having said that, if we cancelled football altogether, how long would you even do it for? You still have to play the games. So it's it's a tough one to kind of answer. Yeah, and then, then we'd start talking. If football in this country was completely curtailed, then we'd start getting into that conversation again about you know how much this cost in the Premier League, the bailouts for the EFL, the bailouts for non-league, and that it almost goes full circle. Like the business side of football takes over in that in that perspective, and then we end up in a situation where we're talking about bailouts, we're talking about the Premier League bailing out the rest of it. But then when the football is on, as we'd like to see it, then it becomes issues of health, becomes issues of testing, and that divergence in, in kind of funding and wealth between the leagues really comes to comes to the fore and highlights some of the kind of the saddest sadder elements of of football, but I mean, listen, we'll wrap up now. I think it's just but the, I think, you know, I'm glad we have football on our screens, and I just I do find the the cross border movement a little bit sketchy. And hopefully, you know, I want to see the Euros. I love seeing England in the tournaments, but for me, it's 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 keep the prem, and only keep the rest if we can afford to fund it, uh, afford to fund testing. Sorry, um, without that, I just think it's crazy to go ahead. No, I completely agree with that one. Yep, so we will wrap up today, Chase. Thank you uh, for the discussion. It was very, um, very insightful today. This is an ongoing pandemic that we're all looking to get behind us, hopefully with um, with the vaccine rollouts across the world. We'll start to see some normality and normality in the game. But thank you all for listening today. Cheers, guys. Cheers, all. Cheers.